you know, I was batting around questions because you've had success as a head coach and as assistant assistant coach, you're just a, a, a women's basketball lifer. Mm-hmm. What's the ride been like? What's the journey been like? It's, it's really been amazing. And, you know, to think back at the beginning and now as I'm, you know, winding down my career, uh, I've, I've, I've experienced every level of, of college coaching. And then the two years I was in the WNBA, but it's been a, it's, it's been an amazing ride. Um, the game has been really good to me. I have formed a lot of, a lot of lasting relationships. And to me, that's, that's what is, there's always another game. There's always, you know, there's always more games, there's wins and there's losses, but the, the relationships, that's what is lasting to me. And, and that's where you learn and you grow through, through your relationships with other people, uh, through other coaches, through players, through people. The, the NFL stands for not for long. Second down and goal from just inside the two. Backs offset, Sharga and Armstead. Rollout, Walker still running out. Looks to the left, wide open, Thompson touchdown. Colin Thompson with the touchdown. There was nobody within 20 yards. What of a catch off the bobble. Colin Thompson scoops it up. Lofting corner of the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. The first NFL touch for Colin Thompson is a score. What's up, everybody? Back to another episode of Not For Long Media. We appreciate you guys joining us episode nine mickey demoss but before we talk about mickey demoss let's talk about some of our sponsors wealth advisory services paul david wealth advisory services excuse me located in doylestown bucks county pennsylvania right in my hometown two gentlemen that i've gotten to know dearly um and they handle my money and and someone that i've been able really fortunate to learn from over the years um they're smart guys that just do it the right way and someone I've really been blessed to learn from as a young investor, a young entrepreneur, um, and a young, you know, student athlete and now professional athlete. So check the guys out, wealthadvisoryservices.com. The original Fudge Kitchen guys, you know all about them. Mother's Day's coming up next month. Birthday's in April. The weather's starting to change. Treat someone to some original Fudge Kitchen fudge. Check them out, the original, uh, excuse me, fudgekitchens.com. And then our new friends at Cape May Brewing Company, one of our favorite sponsors. We can't be biased over here, Justin. It's like your kids. It's like even though you have that one sponsor you like the most, even though we love them all equally, there's the you know the beer one is is near and dear to my heart. I'll say that. I think our sponsors wouldn't be upset about that, but the beer one's near and dear to our heart. Cape May Brewing Company. I've gotten to know Ryan, the 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 founder, him and his father, very well. Uh, another Cape May, New Jersey. Local product, one of the top breweries in New Jersey. You could buy their beer in Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. I think anywhere east of Harrisburg, you can pretty much buy K-May Brewing Company. I'm getting it from pictures from our friends outside of Bucks County, right where I'm from there, where Wealth Advisory Services is from. So check them out, K-May Brewing Company. They're really great, and they're easy to get to. Right down the parkway, and they're just not far from K-May. I think it's a, I don't know, eight-minute drive from from K-May, so... Check them out, Kate May Brewing Company, Wealth Advisory Services, and the original Fudge Kitchen. So we got Mickey DeMoss. We're going to talk about Mickey in a second. Before we do that, we're going to, we got a This Justin segment, and Justin Ayers is here. Justin, how you doing, buddy? 
good, man. We're coming in hot. We got two uh, pretty hotly debated topics that are blowing up the Twitter sphere. Uh, one of which I think you touched on in, a, in an upcoming piece. Um, but I'm just going to jump right into it. Just, uh, this happened probably last Monday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the last this just in. But Julian Edelman, 12-year career wide receiver for the Patriots, announced his retirement. And almost immediately, nobody knows where this debate started, but the entire internet was debating, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And, you know, everybody has a take on it. You were just listening to Colin Cowherd talking about his take on it. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if the, you might like at first not really think too much about it, but maybe it's, maybe it's one of those things where you dig into it a little bit more and it kind of sways your opinion. Where, where do you fall on the Edelman thing? So you're going to hear Benny Fowler, who's an upcoming guest, Super Bowl champion, receiver across the NFL, Michigan State, say his opinion, and I'm not going to say it. You can listen next week and hear it, but he made some great points. He started running off some other receivers in the NFL and he said, you think they're Hall of Famers? And I was like, mm, I don't know. So I say this. Julian Edelman is a Ring of Honor member with the New England Patriots. For sure. He is a legend, a stud. Me personally, I would do whatever it takes to have the career Julian Edelman has, has had. He's a monster. And I love the highlight videos coming out with him. He's getting pressure in Vince Young in Philly. I saw that highlight video when they rushed him off the edge, I think, on like a Hail Mary pass. He returns punts. He run down on kickoff and gets tackles. He was the ideal Patriot in the sense that he did literally everything for him. Uh, the McCourty twins come to mind. Like a Deion Branch, like people that just did everything for those for New England over the years um, and was beloved by the city. And I think a lot of recency bias is like, yeah, he made huge plays and he did it for a really long time. I think he made a lot of massive playoff catches. Obviously, everyone knows the Super Bowl one, but he did it for a really long time. You'll hear Benny Fowler get it, Benny Fowler get into it, but I feel like the world we live in today, hot topics, debates, who's the GOAT in basketball, LeBron or MJ, you know, like it's got to be debated right away. Uh, so I was like, yeah, he's in, no doubt about it. And then we just listened to Cowherd, which I thought was like really good. But the second time I listened to it, he's like, yeah, he's in. And he didn't really give a reason why. He said Randy Moss had two 100-yard receiving years or only has one 100, 100 reception. Catch. Yep. Randy Moss only has two or one. Calvin Johnson has one, I believe. 100 reception season. Jordan Edelman has two of them. Um, that was his argument. His argument was he's had no one's had you know, bigger catches than he's had in the playoffs in the last 10 years. That's all subjective. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of subjectiveness, and it's a shame because I feel like it takes away from Julian Edelman's career. Like the guy's an absolute monster uh, and was a stud there. So – I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I think he's a Ring of Honor member in New England, and, and he'll be, you know, you could retire number 11 there and retire number 12 there. 87 would have to get retired, too. There'd be a lot of players getting retired throughout that era, so I don't know if you can do that, but maybe Ring of Honor. What do you think, Justin? I mean, the arguments he was, like, throwing out, the Cowherd thing, he's like, oh, he's got three Super Bowl rings. I use this a lot in basketball. The arguments, like, it doesn't work now, but there was a time where Patrick McCall had three, uh, you know, championship rings, two with the Lakers, or I'm sorry, two with the Warriors and one with the uh, Raptors. And that was when uh, LeBron, I think, had three. And so I, I would always just, like, troll people with, you know, Patrick McCall has three. There's guys that have, like, 10 championship rings, and they, they're not very good. And he's like, and you know, and then Cowherd's like, oh, you got to put him in there for the big moments. Well, then why isn't the Tyree, why is it Tyree in the Hall of Fame then? Because that, that catch is way cooler. Um, I like the fact that the NFL Hall of Fame is a little bit more exclusive. 
I, I didn't know it was this exclusive. Since 1990, only five wideouts have been elected to the Hall of Fame. Megatron, Isaac Bruce, Marvin Harrison, Randy Moss, and T.O. What? That's it? It is. It have debuted since 1990. But, I mean, I didn't know it was, like, that stringent. But then there's a part of me that's like, that's kind of cool. Because, you know, basketball lets everybody in. Baseball is very, like, they're, they're letting more and more people in. But I like the, the fact that, you know what, if you want to be in Canton – got to you got to be awesome. You can't just let anybody in. And Julian Edelman didn't even have 7,000 receiving yards in his entire career. So, not looking great. No. I think it's we could settle for this. Ring of Honor member in New England? Oh, yeah, he can have that. He can have his number retired, whatever. Whatever you want to do in New England is fine, but to put him on the same level as some of the all-time greats at the position just because, you know, like you said, recency bias, Super Bowl MVP, gritty, like Eh, he's also busted for PEDs. Nobody, I haven't heard that brought up, but he did a serve a four game suspension for, for performance enhancing drugs there. Um, no so that would just, me. that would disqualify him from the baseball hall of fame. Yeah, for that's sure. a good point. Isn't that funny? Like no one even mentions that in football and it doesn't happen a lot. Everyone's like, Oh, they're finding a way to do it. Listen, guys get suspended because we, because they did it like simple as that. Like, but if that happened in baseball, person's done. Like, you're done. You're not even sniffing the Hall of Fame, and you're not even – yeah. I mean, wow, I didn't even think about that. So Yeah, I have, like, Bonds and Clemens still aren't in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the best hitter and the best pitcher uh, because of their steroids. Why, you know, why, why haven't we talked about that with Edelman yet? So just something to chew on. Uh, but I, like I said, I don't know where this debate started, and it just – it took over the entire internet for, like, four days. Let us know your thoughts, folks. Tell us how crazy yeah. you are. I got one more thing for you. This is a little bit lighthearted. Uh, so the Cincinnati Bengals unveiled their new uniforms today and they look almost identical to their old uniforms. They're still like, they still have the tiger stripes. They still like, I I'm, pull up a picture here. Like I'm looking at it now, there's a all white one. That's cool. But I, to the naked eye, unless you have a list of what's new and what's different about them, they look exactly the same. So, and that's the thing when NFL teams release their uniforms, the debate happens. Is it good? Is it not? And also this one kind of stirred a little bit. You know, what, what are some of your favorite uniform combinations out there in the league right now? Because I have a bunch, but you see them on like a, you know, day-to-day basis out there. Well, I'll say this about the Bengals uniforms before we get into that. I like them. I think they're a little just cleaned up a little bit, right? It's a little cleaner, crisper. It's a world we live in today. Like it's kind of the LA vibe of just like simple it's obviously they got the right guys wearing uniforms, right? In these pictures. Don't anybody tell you differently. Like they don't have me in the uniform day. You know, it's like Christian McCaffrey, you know, let's see who else. Brian Burns for us in Carolina. Like Sam Darnold's not going to be there on uniform day. Like I don't even know Sam yet. And he's a great guy. I'm sure. But yeah, Sam may not be doing uniform day. Like Teddy B with the sleeves. Like he's not doing uniform day. <laughs> Trying to think of some other guys who are not doing uniform day. So, yeah, um, they have the right guys look wearing the uniforms. They look sharp, and uh, they look the same. Like the only thing that looks different is the new white one. Like I don't remember that being a part of their regular combination. But the orange with the tiger stripes still on the shoulder. Like what? I don't know what they took away. It looks just a little cleaner. Um, it just looks a little cleaner. That's all. Okay. Uh, you know that's that's my gut. But so my favorite NFL uniforms. There's some good ones for sure. There really is some good one. I'll be biased. I'm going to talk about us in Carolina. I think you got great colors. I think you got to start with the colors, right? You've got the Carolina blue in a way, the white and the black. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong there. 
I like, let's see, I'm trying to scroll and find a picture here where I can actually talk and articulate on it. So I think some are better than others, right? I think the Miami like retro teal is pretty cool. I mean, I could be wrong. Someone's probably like, you're crazy. That's hideous. Uh, I always like the Ravens purple. I'm a purple yep. fan. The podcast has got the purple swag. Uh, let's see. Go ahead. What do you think about some of yours? So my favorite, I like what the LA Rams did. I like that the yeah. Royal blue, the all Royal blue. I even like the, like the bone color. It's like off white. People are like, Oh, it looks like dirty dishwater. I like that. The helmets are sick. Um, it's funny because I like the Panthers uniforms and you like, do you like them obviously, but they're not highly rated whenever publications put out their, the rankings of like the top 32, like uniforms, they're always either like dead last or like in the bottom 10. And people just say that they haven't changed since the nineties. We're not saying that, but that's, that that's out there. But so now you got to change and update to look good. I think ours look pretty good. I think the all white looks good. You got the all white behind you on the wall there. You got our all black looks good. Uh, I think the all the blue looks great. I think the blue and the black looks great. You know, the gray, I'll be honest, throws me off a bit. I score my touchdown in the gray, I believe. So I love the gray. Don't get me wrong. I love yeah. the gray. But I think gray is just like the darker gray is tough. You know, it's just tough in general. Um, like when the Giants were like the gray pants with the blue, like I know that's like classic, but that's just like, it just looks older. It just looks a little dated. That's all. That's still like it and rep it, no doubt about it. So uh, it's a good debate. I mean, I think like I grew up in Philly. So I think the Eagles green's cool. I think when the Eagles go with the black, it's cool. Yeah. You know, all black. Uh, all black looks good. I mean, everyone looks good in all black, but all black with like a green looks good. All black with a blue looks good. So uh, let's see college football. We got the Gator behind me. I got a Navy flag in here. I got a Temple flag in here. Uh, Maryland has the best like Under Armour uniform combinations. They have the best like specialty. Like they have like an all yellow uniform. They have like the, the, Mar- like the Maryland flag. Like whatever they're doing, it's all Under Armour decked out head to toe. So that I'm, I'm biased. I don't care, but I think Maryland does uh, the, the, the uniform game right in college. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I agree with that hundred percent. I don't think their colors are a struggle. I think NASA George will disagree with me there again. Shout out to NASA George. We're begging NASA George to come on the podcast and drop some NASA knowledge. He'll come on soon. We're going to guilt trip him. Um, but uh, I mean, I like some of the ones we did at Temple. I like the Gator ones. I like the classic Alabama. Um, the classic Penn State's nice, even though I have no love for Penn State. Uh, I love a lot of their players, but I cannot respect, you know, I'm going to Temple out. I can't respect that. Uh, let me see. Who else in college football? There's some good ones for sure. USC is a classic. Texas is a classic. You know, there's some good ones. We didn't really dive into that too much, but. UNC, obviously, swagger with the colors again. Just fantastic work out of them. Can't go The wrong sky blue. Yeah. I used to get uh, – Butch Jones used to uh, – Butch Jones used to send me, when he was the tight end coach of Carolina, like a handwritten letter with a little tight end play drawn on it. And, you know, he's like, here's you, and it'd be like a little score, <laughs> like whatever, like into the end zone like X's and O's, like a real X's and O's play, which I thought was really cool. And he put the name of the play there and whatever, but I would be jacked up for UNC. Like they were in my like top recruiting thing just because of the color. Like that's where you're at when you're 16 years old, even though like I thought the program was pretty solid there too, but they like their coaches, but that's either in or there. So um, yeah, that does it. That does it. NFL jerseys, best NFL jersey, Carolina Panthers, prove me wrong at me. 
Um, and uh, that's it. Best team in the NFL, Carolina Panthers. Did I say that out loud? Am I allowed to? Yeah, I think so. I like our team. I like our team. I'm biased, so I will say. So I think that's it, Jay. We good to go, brother? Yeah, man. So we're going to wrap it up. We're going to send it over to interview before we do. Guys, check out Original Fudge Kitchen, the original Fudge Kitchen, fudgekitchens.com, Wealth Advisory Services. Check those guys out over there. First-class approach to managing your wealth. Unbelievable communication. I love working with them. And then our bias favorite, the brewing company of Cape May, Cape May Brewing Company. Uh, shout out to Ryan and their staff there. They do an amazing job. We love their beer. We love their their spirits. We love the uh, brewing, just the, the brewery, the tour, the free tour, self-guided tour. I love that I've been there before. It's a great, it's a great, great spot. So we're going to send over to Mickey, Mickey DeMoss. I met Mickey DeMoss. It's Sydney's, my fiance's condo uh, near the Destin, near Destin in Florida, between Destin and Panama City. And she was walking and she was walking down the street where I was walking during the pandemic, right in the beginning of it, right when the XFL folded. And I was wearing a Florida Gator uh, shirt and she said, go Gators. And I said, go Tech. She had a Georgia Tech, all Georgia Tech swagger out. Like she definitely is a coach, has, you know, family that plays for the team. And she ended up being the chief of staff at Georgia Tech. She still is the chief of staff at Georgia Tech. Um, and they have turned that program around there. They went for a really nice run and, and took South Carolina, a very good basketball team, to the wire. And and, uh, and and we just had an unbelievable talk about all things in college basketball. She has been coaching since 1977, uh, which I screwed up on the podcast, but she's been coaching since 1977. She's been a head coach of Florida. She's been the head coach of Kentucky, where she had a great run. Um, she won a – championship in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever. Like I said, she's currently the chief of staff at Georgia Tech. But what she's really known for, guys, she's a women's basketball Hall of Fame coach. She's one of the first, if not the first, assistant coach honored into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame because of her time at Ware, Tennessee. And she was a part and the top assistant at Tennessee under the great, late great Pat Summit. Um you know, they went to 13 Final Fours while she was there. She spent 18 seasons in Knoxville in her first stint and then went back again uh, after Pat left the program. So she's just a Tennessee legend, a women's basketball legend. And I think you guys are going to like our funny stories. Uh, she's just a great woman who I've been able to call a friend now, have some uh, uh, cocktails with. Shout out to Kate May Brewing Company. And, and, and someone who I really, really enjoy. And she's got a great story, a great message. And I think you guys will enjoy this podcast. So check out our sponsors. We appreciate you guys' support. And we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing you guys soon on another episode of Not Fun Media. So explain the transfer portal. We were talking about it off air, but can you guys explain what, what's going on right now in college basketball with the transfer portal and what's going on at Georgia Tech? Yeah, it's – well, the transfer portal has opened up a whole new recruiting base for college coaches. And um, I guess it was two years ago the NCAA made a rule that you did not have to sit out a year on your first transfer. So – 
if it's your first transfer, uh, you can play immediately wherever you go. So that has really opened the door for student athletes to uh, jump in that transfer portal if things aren't going well, or maybe it's not a fit, or you know, maybe it's a fifth year person that uh, you know wants a different scenery, um, or a graduate uh, transfer. So uh, it's really raised the number. So there's over a thousand Division One women's basketball players in the transfer currently in the transfer portal. Wow, what a massive number that is! And you've been coaching college basketball now for a long time. You have a ton of experience at the highest levels, winning um, with some unbelievable programs. Have you seen anything like this in college football? Excuse me, college basketball, women's college basketball. I have not. Because I've had this conversation with a lot of people in football, too. So I guess we oh, go back right? and forth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't because now coaches are saving scholarships because of the transfer portal. And there are some coaches even in, in our conference in the ACC that, that if they don't sign anybody early in November, it's no big deal. They're like, look, we're, we'll, we'll recruit out of the transfer portal. So several of the Sweet 16 teams this, this year in the NCAA tournament, half of their roster were transfers. So it's a quick way to rebuild your roster. It's a quick way to build a program. So it's, it's put a whole new spin uh, on recruiting and rebuilding programs and maintaining yeah. uh, rosters. It's almost free agency in a way hold on to your assets and wait for, for a fish to come out. And it's interesting. We, we, we discuss where did it come from? When did the athletes start getting more of a voice and things like this? And obviously COVID has allowed people to be eligible right away, uh, no matter what. And another year, right. um, a lot of it, I think, you know, we don't have to dive into this, but a lot of it, when, when LeBron decided to go to Miami and it changed everything, people want to go play together. The player power was a thing. He didn't care that great. I was drafted by Cleveland, but my time's over. I'm moving on. Wow. Uh, that's the debate that we have, at least in, in football circles and, and some of my friends in basketball. My buddy Colin Gillespie is a point guard for Villanova. He, mm -hmm. he does his MCL. He's got a six-year because of COVID. I don't know what he's going to do. But do you guys have anybody on your team at Tech that are, are taking another year due to COVID? Absolutely. We're, we're very fortunate that we've got two seniors, they're technically seniors this year, that could have declared for the draft. They had a had a few nibbles from some from some WNBA teams, and one is a European uh, uh, young lady from Italy, and had some pro teams in Italy looking at her. But they decided to come back. So that's the positive side of COVID: is that these two young ladies decided to stay at Georgia Tech and play their their you know fifth year uh, with Georgia with us. So that that was a huge plus in our recruiting because. You know, we don't have to – it's not as much pressure getting in the portal right now trying to re sign another point guard or signing a, a four-player uh, because they – that was the – that's the obviously the positive side of it. But when the – you know, the players getting – the athletes getting more voice, I think one of the examples that I remember reading about two years ago, their argument was coaches get to pick up and move, you know, they, if they get a, a better offer yeah. somewhere, a better contract, more money, 
you know, they can pick up and move. There's no uh, penalty for a coach. So why aren't we afforded those same rights as student athletes? And right now, so many rules lean toward protecting the student athlete. Uh, I don't think the NCAA wants to mess with any lawsuits right now. So uh, most of the rules are designed to protect the student athlete right now. There is some good and there's some bad. I think, yes, there's some things that I disagree with what the NCAA did. But overall, if you take advantage of your experience in school, it will change. Absolutely. You've seen it. You've been coaching since 83. It will change your life, the trajectory of your life. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching football down here where I'm living in Cape May, New Jersey. And we, and we have some talented players. I'm like, you guys should just go walk on. Like, what do you mean? You know, they're trying to find the right D2 or D3. I'm like, just go walk on to a big school. They're like, I'm like, guys, there's 120 football players on a football team. Just go walk on. If you can afford it and you get in, you, you'll make the team as a walk-on. That will mm-hmm. change your life forever. You may play on some special teams over four years. Maybe you get a scholarship your last year, mm-hmm. but it will change your life forever. Over your time of coaching, mentoring, building relationships with people, have you had – I wasn't even going to ask this, but have you had some walk-ons come, come into a program and, and change the program, and, and you see how much it's changed them as well? Well, we've certainly had some walk-ons. Um... And I'm trying to remember, I actually, Colin, I've been coaching since uh, 70. Oh, 77, my bad. Memphis State, Memphis State, 77 to 79. I just did a a Hall of Fame uh, Zoom uh, production thing for my first boss at at Memphis this morning. Mary Lou Johns was my very first boss at Memphis State. Memphis State, 77 uh, to 79. And I left a gap there. That's why I missed it because I have notes for Florida because we're going to talk a little. Oh, Gators, yeah. So okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've had some walk-ons that have certainly made a difference in our program. Uh, and I know we've made a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, uh, there, you know, there are no guarantees in basketball. It's a little different women's basketball because there's not as many spots on the roster. Yeah. And uh, you can only play five at a time. And you get 15 scholarships. So, you yeah. know, uh, playing time is, is of high premium on a, on a basketball team, but yeah, we, we've, we've had walk-ons and uh, I think it might be a little different in football. I've seen more success. I've heard more success stories in football, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, certainly we have a walk-on right now at Georgia tech that is just phenomenal uh, and has made a huge difference in our program, not necessarily statistically, but her character, her willingness to be a great teammate and to be great in the locker room. And I know we've made a difference in her life as well. Yeah, that's invaluable, no doubt about it. You have some foreign players on your team. We met, we talked a a lot about that. You talked about how much of a joy that's been. Uh, Talk about that recruiting process and talk about what it's like having some players that aren't from the States on the team. Yeah, it's it's really been uh, a new experience for me. Even as long as I've been coaching, I, I haven't, I had the privilege of coaching a lot of foreign players, but here at Georgia Tech, uh, the, the coach previous that was previously here had signed s- some foreign players. And since then, our head coach, Nell Fortner, has been able to sign um, a couple of foreign, foreign players. And I tell you, the, the difference uh, with the particular players we have is that they're extremely bright. I mean, you know, at Georgia Tech, you've got to be a pretty good student to get in here. 
and we've got some engineer majors, we've got, you know, business majors, we've got a tough academic school, and that doesn't always translate to a high basketball IQ. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But but this particular group that we have, number one, they have a high basketball IQ, and they're really mature for their age compared to some some of our American players, like a sophomore European and a sophomore uh, American. Usually, the European they're going to be a little bit more mature. They've been around more. They've been exposed to more um, in their country. They can speak multiple languages. Um, it, it's just been a, a really a real pleasure to coach them. And I and I'm I'm glad toward the end of my career that I've been able to to experience it. And they can play. Yeah, pretty good, too. <laughs> pretty good is right. Sweet yeah. sixteen this year. You guys had some maturity. You've been rebuilding the program there with Coach Fortner. What has been, well, take us on the journey of this season. Uh, you know, Sweet 16 is the end result, but there was ups and downs for sure. Right. We watched you guys the whole year, and we had a blast watching you guys. <laughs> Talk about the season as a whole and, and how it finished up. Well, I'll start by saying we started the year, you know, at the beginning of the year, the coaches and the media, they'll pick the rankings of the ACC, the pre, you know, what they're predicting your team to finish. And so we were picked – either eighth or ninth in the ACC. There's 12, 12 teams in the ACC, I think. Anyway, we were down toward the bottom. And um, so we're like, oh, wow, well, is that really where we are, you know, or, or are we better than that? So we were like, as coaches, we weren't quite sure. We thought we were better. Uh, but as the season got started, we had a few bumps early, and then it started clicking once ACC started. Uh, we were at Notre Dame. Our first uh, our first ACC game was on the road at Notre Dame and beat them. And then it just started rolling from there. I think that first time ever in the history of the Georgia Tech program that they had won at Notre Dame. So it was just a huge confidence boost for this group. And they just it, they kept rolling. And, and yeah, like you said, we we had a few bumps along the way. Most most teams do. But it was a very resilient group. And like you said, you watched them. You, you were able to watch them play. And it was one of the hardest working, hard-nosed teams that I've ever been a part of where we would, be, we would get down 13, 14 points, and we're like, oh, man. And then all of a sudden we'd come racing back and, end up, you know, and win the game most of the time. But we finished, ended up finishing third in the conference. So being picked like eight or nine and you're, you finished third – for a coach to uh, have that type of season where you overachieve, where it's not expected, it's not predicted, and your team just goes out and grabs it and says, we don't care what other people think, this is what we think. And I think it starts with, with Nell uh, Fortner, our head coach. I mean, she is a, a very positive, um, optimistic, and, you know, we're going to, you know, we can win this league, we can win it, we can – you know, and so she had those those players believing it before the season even started, and really before we even truly knew what was, you know, what we could do. Plus, you're dealing with COVID. Right? Exactly. That's that's all just become the norm now. But in an athletic program where you can lose players, lose coaches, quarantine, talk about those hurdles this year. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, we, we were a, somewhat fortunate in that we, we had a player test positive right before Christmas and it, um, it um, shut us down. I think we missed two games right before Christmas and then we were uh, off for Christmas. And then um, we had a coach test positive and all the coaches, because of contract tracing, we, the coaches were out for 10 days, but the players, they could practice. So we were Zooming practices. We had three TVs set up around the court and, you know, we were watching, we could flip which end we were watching and then we would call the players over to the TVs, you know, positions, whether it was the, the frontline players or the backcourt. And we were like, okay, barking orders out, you know, this and that. And I said, guys, did you ever think we would be running practice through Zooms? But it How worked. How cool is that, though? That is so cool. Like, it's frustrating in a way, very frustrating. But, like, this year we built an NFL season through iPads. It, really? Yeah. I mean, we were there April. My first year technically being in the league, I was. we were, we were April to June. All iPads, learned a whole offense, learned everything, and how to go execute in person. Now you guys are have <laughs> student <laughs> managers probably running practice of some exactly. sort. Exactly, right? we did. And, we did. and then the, the, you're telling the managers, listen, bring it, bring them up at this time. I need someone near the TV. So they like, is that how it was working? Exactly, we did. We'd say the volume's too low. Get the volume up, you know, because we would be yelling as they're doing drills. And so we'd call the, it was like our managers and it was like some of our support staff that we had to get activated to be able to get on the floor, like our video person. And, and so we've got our video person and our recruiting assistant recruiting coordinator. And so we're going, tell them to pick up their tempo, tell them they're not going hard enough. And they're going, really coach, you really want me to tell them, you know, like, cause they were so out of character and out of their, their role to do that. And like that, the tempo you got, the, it's a too slow of a tempo. They've got to pick it up. So, you know, call them over That's to the great. video. But it was the game after we were all released from quarantine. We played at Wake Forest. It was the best, it was the very best game we'd played all year. I said, hey, coaches, I'm not sure that's a good sign. They practiced for 10 days without us and we went and played, we went and played our best oh, game. <laughs> that's great. But you know what? It, it shows the maturity of your team, like you talked about. It shows the everyone was all in, right? If you're, you you could see teams, not just in, in, in a particular sport, but you could see teams that weren't all in. Mm -hmm. You could see, not saying a positive COVID test means you're not all in, but to overcome the hurdles of COVID that everyone had to go through is amazing. So you said this year, overachieving team, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have won a ton of basketball games, six national titles, WNBA championship, so when you're going through your unbelievable runs with Coach Summit at Tennessee, you guys were expected to win every year. At Georgia Tech this year, you were expected to finish at the back end of the conference. What's the messaging from you, Nell, and the staff next year to your team, and what's expected? Well, I think it's, the handwriting is on the wall. I think uh, the fact that we were able to advance in the Sweet 16 and finish the season the way we did and play South Carolina, who – was ranked number one in the nation most of the year to uh, played them to what a six, six to eight point game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think expectations are going to be there. So um, we've got to embrace it. And uh, as the season went on this year, as, as expectations started rising 
and we were getting mentioned in top 25 polls and we were getting mentioned, you know, you could feel the tension starting to build a little bit around these players because they'd never been there before. They'd never been there. They were always, you know, they, they were always the, the hunter. They weren't the hunted. And so all of a sudden we had the target on our back. And so uh, we stumbled a few times during that time. And I think it's just changing that mindset to embrace it. This is what you work so hard to, to do, to be, to be on the top and stay on the top or toward the top. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a whole different approach next year with expectations and, and uh, that we walk around and, and, and we're expected to win uh, some of these games um, that maybe this year we weren't expected to win. So coach, I want to talk about you a little bit. The lie, Louisiana, am I saying that correct? Louisiana Tech? No, where you where you grew up. Oh, Delhi. Delhi. See, I, yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. See? You, you gotta you gotta say, I mean, listen, Sydney's family is from Church Point, as you know. <laughs> and there's a whole nother language down there. there I, I don't really I, I don't know what's going on, but talk about your childhood. Talk about where you grew up. I got to spend some some time at Easter in Church Point, and it's a wonderful little place. We had crawfish, we ate really good and had some good times. But talk about your childhood, talk about you know, basketball pre uh, joining the dogs at La Tech. Right. You know, it's just Dell has a small little town uh, in North Louisiana. And um, yeah, there was nothing else to do in that town except uh, to play sports, really. And I started playing basketball at a pretty early age and just embraced it, loved it. And um, fortunately, it kept me out of whatever trouble. So either you you drank and partied all the time or you played sports. And so fortunately, I fell in love with basketball. So I was able to stay out of trouble most of my high school days. Uh, we had a good little uh, high school program there. We'd won state two years of my four. And Louisiana Tech uh, was starting a program there. I played on their very first team at Louisiana Tech and uh, ended up being one of the best women's programs in the country uh, back uh, Louisiana Tech won the first NCAA women's title in 1982. So I'd like to say that I got it all rolling there. Yeah, you set uh, the foundation. Here. And uh, the Kim Mulkey, who's the head coach at Baylor University, who, they have an outstanding program. She was a point guard at Louisiana Tech uh, after I left. I said she never really fulfilled my shoes there, but she certainly tried. <laughs> but she was a heck of a point guard. She's a lot better than I was. But uh, – but Louisiana Tech had a really, really good women's basketball program, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be a, a part of that and, and have some really good coaches there. And just from there, just went on, you know, into coaching right out of right out of Louisiana Tech. Did those coaches drive you into coaching, or is it something you always wanted to do? I think it was something I've always wanted to do. You know, I think my dad was an educator, a teacher, and I think teaching has always been in my blood. I mean, I thought I was going to probably be a high school coach and a high school teacher. And I went for, um, I thought I was going to get this job down this little country, country, country town down in uh, central Louisiana. And they had an all American that was a senior and the governor of Louisiana, governor McKithen, uh, daughter-in-law was the coach. And he said, look, Mickey, I want you to be the next coach at Caldwell Parish high school, Pam Kelly, who's an, and she ended up being a four-time all American at Louisiana tech. Well, they wanted a Louisiana Tech person coaching that team because they wanted her to go to Louisiana Tech. 
Of course. Of course. And I said, okay. So at the last minute, they pulled the plug on me and didn't hire me. Well, I was like, man, I was devastated. And then Memphis came along, uh, a grad assistant at Memphis. And I look back on that. You know how we get upset sometimes because plans don't work out the way that we think they should. Mm. And uh, once I let that go and said, well, you know what, let's just, let me just rethink this process. And then Memphis came along and I've never looked back. I mean, I've been in the college, I've been in the college ranks since 1977, 78, and except the two years I spent in the professional league. So it all, it, it all worked out really well for me, you know? So I like, I'm a big believer in always being involved in everybody, especially everybody that comes on the show. So I always follow you guys, but I'm like, I got to take notes for Mickey. Like, <laughs> even though I don't want to, because I got to, now I keep looking back down at them. All right. Six national titles, 12 trips to the final four at Tennessee. You were coach of the year as a head coach at Kentucky. Yeah. You have your own wing started because of you in the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which was so cool. <laughs> and and just be transparent, Vicki and I met walking down the street. That's right. In little Santa Rosa, Florida. And you were decked out in tech gear and we were wearing gator stuff. And I said, go tech. And you said, go gators. And we met and started talking. <laughs> Similar yeah. personalities. Here we are. Right. So, right. you know. It was a great day. It was, it was a great day. day. It, yep. it was fun. Yeah. We've had some good times. So when you told me that you're like, yeah, in a very humble way, you were telling me, I want to learn more about the game of women's basketball. And you're like, yeah, we have our own wing, you know, myself and there's a UConn coach in there as well. And there's some other members now, but the first assistant, right. you know, I was batting around questions because you've had success as a head coach and as assistant, assistant coach, you're just a, a, a women's basketball lifer. Mm -hmm. What's the ride been like? What's the journey been like? It's, it's really been amazing. And, you know, to think back at the beginning and now as I'm, you know, winding down my career, uh, I've, I've, I've experienced every level of, of college coaching. And then the two years I was in the WNBA, but it's been a, it's, it's been an amazing ride. Um, the game has been really good to me. I have formed a lot of a lot of lasting relationships. And to me, that's, that's what is, there's always another game. There's always, you know, there's always more games, there's wins and there's losses, but the, the relationships, that's what is lasting to me. And, and that's where you learn and you grow through, through your relationships with other people, uh, through other coaches, through players, through people you meet at different uh, schools. Um, athletics really has a way of bringing people together. And it's just a, a common thread that once you've been in athletics, just like you and I, I mean, and, you're, and Sid, Sydney, your, your fiance or girlfriend, I'm not sure. Fiance, yeah. That is right now, but, um, yeah. you know, she played uh, field hockey at lacrosse, lacrosse, lacrosse of Florida. Of Florida. Yeah. 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 And, you know, when you're an athlete, particularly at that level and, you, you know, you can just look in each other's eyes and you know what you've been through, you know, what the sacrifices that you've made, you know, and it just is a, an immediate bond there. Um, and I think the ride has been indicative of that. Um, I've met so many coaches along the way and uh, still involved with so many former players. Can you imagine coaching 43 years, all of the former players I have out there? Does one coach for you? Or coach with you now? 
Yeah. 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 One coaches. Yeah. She sure does. Tasha Butts played for me at Tennessee and then we worked together at LSU. And when Nell got hired, I, she's a Georgia girl. I said, you need a Georgia girl on your staff. I said, I've got one for you. So we got her from LSU, which the coach at LSU was a former player of mine, the head coach. But I've, I think we've got, I don't know, probably at least 15 to 20 former players that are coaching on the collegiate level right now, collegiate or WNBA level. So you gave me this book that's in my car. I got the light here, but it's yep. uh, quotes from the summit by Pat summit coach of the century, yep. <laughs> not the decade, the century. <laughs> century. Yeah. And, and I saw this going through it today. I was looking at some quotes. Uh, you did the forward in the book, but and I'm bouncing around here, 100% student graduation rate at Tennessee. Right. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think it's, it gets, you know, people talk about graduation rates and how great it is, but like you have to be all in for that stuff to really matter as a coaching staff, in my opinion, and your players. And then it becomes a part of the culture with study halls and, you know, academic advisors and all the things that no one knows about. How, how did you guys accomplish that? Like winning games, you can recruit players to win games, but that's people putting the work in behind the scenes, the people, obviously the students putting the work in, how do you guys accomplish that? Yeah. You know, I can tell you this because Pat was at Tennessee. I was there 20 years. I think, I think she was there 30. I, I'm not sure how long Pat was actually the coach at Tennessee 30. You were there 85 to 03. And then you had two more years. You came yeah, back. So I was there a total of 20. Um, yep. I think she was there. I think she was there. I'd say at least 30, 33 years. 30, oh, look, here we go. I have the book right in front of me. Okay. 38 seasons. Oh, 38 seasons. And so she, she coached had, 168 players at Tennessee. Okay. And she had 100% graduation rate when she was the head coach there. That is no accident for 38 seasons. That, no. is, a, that is a plan that is intentional. And, and if you look at her, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. The accomplishments, if that they're the first two things. Then it says eight national championships. So I think it's really cool. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. She, Sorry. Yeah. She always said, you're going to come here. I've been in many homes with her over 20 years. And the first thing she would tell parents, your daughter will get a degree from Tennessee. Now, unless she leaves before her four years are up. And if she leaves, I, I have no control over that wherever she goes, if she wants to leave or if she gets dismissed, whatever happens. But if she stays with me for four years, maybe five, then whatever, how long it takes her to get it, but she will get a degree. And so then as, as we progressed in our program, you know, so, you know, 10 years passed, 12 years passed. Well, still had a hundred percent graduation rate. Well, now we got to the point, the pressure were on, that was on the players now because no one wanted to be that one player that did not get their degree. Absolutely so not. now it took, yeah. So then that, like you said earlier, it was the culture. It was the culture. Um, and that was something that she said, I'm, I've won, you know, Pat won eight championships there and thousand final fours. I don't know if she went to, I don't know how many final fours she went to, but she said, oh, that's good. Well, she said, but the thing that I'm the most proud of is that every one of my players have a college degree. It's unbelievable. I, yeah. I pulled the book out about an hour before we started and I started going through just different quotes and things to hit on hundred percent graduation rate, 18 national championships, 18 NCAA final fours, never miss an NCAA tournament, 
32 SEC championships, 15 coach of the year awards. <laughs> so, and you have won yourself can, when you're a head coach at Kentucky. <laughs> but I want to go back to Florida. The Gators behind me, Sydney and I both went there. It's where we met. Yep. Little old Florida women's basketball, 79 to 83. What was it like yeah. back in the day? Oh, my goodness. You know, that was when women's basketball, the NCAA had not recognized the sport yet. So we were, my first couple of years, we were still under what, what we, our governing body was AIAW, Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. And so we did not have full scholarship. You know, we didn't have the 15 scholarships. We, so you were just kind of operating on this, I don't know, makeshift, uh, these makeshift role models that maybe you'd like, I had been at La Tech, but we didn't have full scholarships there. I mean, we had maybe seven full scholarships or five in Memphis. We had maybe eight. So I get to Florida and I think I had seven or eight scholarships and I was, you had to kind of treat it like base, like baseball where, you know, you divide up the money. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it was, it was a learning experience there. And I think Florida was, still trying to figure out what's this women's basketball stuff all about? You know, what's this, what's women's sports all about? And um, so I got that job when I was 23 years old and, and you look at it now and go, really? I mean, that would, that would be almost impossible. I think Pat came to Tennessee when she was 22. So back in the day, you know, if you played college ball, you were overqualified to get one of those jobs, you know? So um uh, and we had beaten Tennessee at Memphis and, and Tennessee was ranked number one in the country most of the year. And we had beaten them when I was at Memphis. So that propelled me really into getting that job. And, um, but it, I love Florida. I did. I love Florida. I think uh, what they've done now with the women's sports there is unbelievable. Now they're a, they're a leader in women's sports. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Foley, uh, who was the longtime AD there yeah. was a ticket guy when I was there. He was a ticket guy. So I've known, known Jeremy for a long time, and uh, I don't know. It, it was a great experience for me. It was a, a learning experience. Um, you know, unfortunately, things didn't end great. We had I got a new SWA to my last year there, and, yeah, you know how that goes, and I wasn't winning enough. So uh, I was like – she was like, change your staff. You need to change, you know, all this. And I said, you know what, this is not working out. And I moved, I actually went to Auburn, straight to Auburn as a recruiting coordinator with Joe Champy there. And um, everything worked out great, you know, but I love Florida. I do. Yeah. Always, always good memories when I go back there. I remember you saying that you took the job at 23. So I had to ask him like, that is just crazy. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine at 27 getting a head coaching job in college sports now, <laughs> but let alone 23. So Auburn, you do a stop there for two years and then Tennessee. The big mm -hmm. one, obviously, the, the career driver for you. And, you know, a lot of it's about Coach Summit, and rightfully so. She is the best coach ever in all sports, one of them. <laughs> but for you, your role there, can you define it? Or it, you can't put it in a box, I'm sure. No, that's one thing when you work for Pat Summit, you were never in a box. You were, you had, you wore many hats. Um, and she told me this. She said, no job is ever too small or too big for you. Do you understand that? I was like, yes, ma'am. She said, and I, the, I, I go by that same philosophy. For you know, So we knew that whatever Pat asked us to do as, as her staff, 
she was willing to do it or she'd already done it. So she was a tremendous leader. And I've, I've worked for a lot of people since then and prior to Pat. And I've worked for some, I think I've worked for five Hall of Fame coaches, six including Pat. So I've worked for some really good people. But she by far is the best leader that I have ever worked for. And in a way, it's been a, a curse because the bar was set real high, <laughs> very high. And it's not, it's just so hard to, you know, you just want, you just go, oh, would Pat do that? Would Pat do that? <laughs> you know, how would Pat handle this? And uh, that, that experience for me was invaluable. I mean, she, we were good friends. We were, she played so many roles in my life that I, actually I didn't even realize it till she was no longer here. What a big gap she left in uh, not just in my life and in, in many people's lives. Um, but yeah, working for her, I, I owe so much to her and, and, and a lot of coaches that I, that I worked with, but she was a tremendous influence in, in my coaching career and in my, and in my personal life, because she was such a woman of character, never wavered with her character. It didn't matter how big the pressure got, <laughs> nothing squeezed her, nothing, nothing ever. When it came to her core beliefs, they were just, just solid as a rock. I'm sure she has those same core beliefs with, with her children and the children have it's still in them. But there's a funny story about you guys on a flight going to Pennsylvania That's and right. she was having a child. Can you tell that story? That's right. Well, she was pregnant with her, with her, with her son, Tyler. And uh, we were, she was in her ninth month of pregnancy and we were on a private plane because she couldn't fly commercial. And we, we fortunately we were able to, fly private quite a bit at Tennessee. And we flew up to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a solid two and a half hour flight from Knoxville. And Michelle Marciniak, who was a all American little point guard from Allentown, being highly, highly recruited by everybody. So we'd already had to cancel one recruiting with her because of Pat, something with Pat's health and the doctor said, not sure you need to go. So we rescheduled it. Pat said, we're going. And I said, well, Pat, no, 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 I, we're going, I've already canceled one. I'm not going to cancel another one with this young lady. I said, okay. So we get on the plane, we land. Well, her water broke when we landed in Allentown. So right when we landed, she goes, oh, DeMoss. She goes, oh, I think my water broke. Well, me being naive, never had children. Not only, what, I said, now, what exactly does that mean, Pat? She goes, well, that means that I may be going into contractions here pretty soon. I said, What? I said, we need to get, get these pilots. We're going to turn right around and we're going right back to Knoxville. She goes, oh, no, we're not. We're going to go do this home visit. We're not going to cancel again. I said, Pat, you got to be kidding me. I said, I said, call your doctor first. You know, so call the doctor. Doctor said, well, that, you know, he wasn't going to tell Pat. He goes, well, Pat, just use your own judgment, whatever you think. <laughs> so she comes back. She goes, yeah, come on tomorrow. Doctor says, fine. So I says, fine. Let's go. Let's, let's head on to Michelle's house. We get to her house where she goes into these contractions. She's back in another room and I'm doing the recruiting visit. She's back in another room and I could hear her moaning and groaning about every 30 seconds. And I'm like, and she said, don't you tell them what's going on because I don't want to distract them from your presentation. 
So I said, at least tell the mother, at least tell Michelle's mother what's going on. Cause the dad was in there with me, the brother, Michelle. So the mama was back there with Pat. And so finally, you know, she comes in and she goes, Demos. And I looked up, I'm doing my, trying to focus on my recruiting presentation. The dorms are here and the cafeteria, you know, I'm like, really Pat? So she comes in and she goes, Demos, we need to leave. I said, okay, okay. And I still couldn't say anything. Like, why? I was like, okay, that sounds good, Pat. We'll wrap it up right now. She goes, no, I mean, we need to leave right now. And I knew then that it was, I said, you got it. You got it. So I, I said, well, folks, that about wraps it up. I hope you enjoyed the presentation. And about that time, Michelle looks up. She goes, what is going on? You know, what's going on? And so Betsy, her mother goes, uh, Pat is in labor. She's about to have her baby. And they're like, what? And so, man, I hightail it to the car. We're in a rental car. I get in the, I don't, I don't think I handle pressure very well. I get in the car and I go, my mind's blank. I don't know how to get back to there. Where's the airport? Like we didn't have GPS back then. I was like, where the heck is the airport? So Michelle and her brother goes, Hey, follow us. Just follow us. We'll take you because it's a private airport. Takes we're flying back. We're getting construction. I'm yelling and screaming and banging on the steering wheel going, Pat, we should call a, you know, an escort, a police escort to get us back screaming. And, um, I said, what else do you need me to do? What do you need me to do, Pat? She goes, first thing I need you to do is calm down. She said, you're not having this baby. I am. I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay, we're good. We're good. So we get on the airplane. The pilots are freaking out because Pat is in labor. I'm freaking out. So I'm going, okay, okay. So I had to give the keys to the people at the counter, Pat, and they help her on the plane. And so when I get on the plane, she hands me this glass and it's a sh two shots of Jack Daniels. She goes, here, Demos, this is what I got you. And I, and I look at her because we didn't have any alcohol on the school plane. And she, I said, where did you get this? I said, what is this? She goes, it's Jack Daniels. I said, I don't know, Pat. I don't know if you need to be drinking, you know, like going. She goes, no, no, it's not for me. It's for you. And I said, okay. I said, where'd you get that? She goes, the plane next door. I said, the, the pilot over there to go get you some bourbon. And I said, I said, thank God. So we are, that was the longest two hours. It took us two hours to get back because those pilots put the pedal to the metal. That little school King Air, we were going as fast as that thing <laughs> would go. They kept telling me pilot would come back and I was massaging Pat's back. She was moaning and groaning. She, pilot would come back and say, now Mickey, I've got an ambulance in uh, Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia. Now, we can sit this plane down. You're going to have a, uh, ambulances there waiting on us. We've got everything worked out. So she could hear the pilot telling me that. And so I'd say, okay, okay. I said, now, how far is Richmond? Uh, we should get there in about 45 minutes. I said, okay. So then Pat would say, DeMoss, come here. So I'd go down to the back of the plane. She'd say, if you let these pilots land this plane anywhere but Knoxville, Tennessee, you're going to have a mad woman on your hands. Do you understand me? And I knew when Pat meant business. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I went back up to the front of the plane. I said, hey, guys, do not put this plane down, but anywhere but Knoxville, Tennessee. What if she has that baby on this airplane? I said, if she does, we'll figure it out. I said, but do not land this airplane 
because Virginia had beaten us the year before. The University of Virginia had beaten us in overtime to keep us from getting to the final four that we were hosting in Knoxville. So that was another motivation for Pat to not have her baby in the state of Virginia. Now that's how personal wow. she took that. that she was loss. dialed in. And I said, okay, you got it, Pat, you got it. And so I was trying to motivate her and talk to her and going, Pat, you can do this. And, you know, and so-and-so's mama had 11 children. Remember her, it was the people we'd, some kid we'd recruited and she had 11 children. I said, remember Miss so-and-so, she had 11 children. Surely you can have one. And she goes, I'm not worried about the pain. I'm not worried about that, Mickey. And I go, what are you worried about? I'm just worried about having this plane, uh, this baby on this airplane and you having to, I said, oh, well, that makes two of us. That makes two of us. No, you don't need to have this baby on this airplane. I can assure you that. So somehow we got back to Knoxville in time for her to have that baby. And we had ambulances there waiting and her husband was there. And and about the time we got close to Knoxville, I was going, Pat, we're, we're almost there. We're almost there, buddy. We're almost there. And she said, you're going to come in the ambulance with me, aren't you? And I knew I wasn't. I was so done with that. I said, Pat, look, you got med medical people there. RB's going to be there. I said, no. I said, you don't need me there. She goes, yes, I do. I said, why? She said, you're the only one that knows what to do. I said, I know you're delirious now. If you think I'm the only one that knows what to do. So I said, no, I'm out. I said, you're, you're, you're going to be in good hands. So she, they got her to the airport. And she had her, her son a few hours later. Wow. Where do I even start? How, a couple questions. Well, one statement first. The pilots have that story to tell for, for forever. Uh, exactly. Uh, and when we landed, they said, come on, DeMoss. We've got, we've got some more bourbon in our office in the airport. I said, let's go. We went in there and just knocked out about a fifth of bourbon. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how quick did you finish the bourbon on the plane? Oh, that was like the first five minutes. I chugged that. I felt a oh. lot better after that Jack Daniels. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. Hey, we'll finish up with, with, with our friend now, who I love and love following your guys' program again, but been able to meet you guys personally and just absolutely it really had been a pleasure for Sydney and I and Sydney's family. But no one viral. No one viral. She did in the NCAA tournament. Her comments about the NCAA – Right. And just, hey, it's, it's time. It's time to wake up. And uh, it was awesome. Um, what happened? Obviously, we know what happened with the NCAA. For those that don't, essentially, there was a picture of the weight rack and saying, hey, listen, what is this? And then they showed the men's, the men's facility, and it's great. That's something you're accustomed to, uh, you know. But, you know, and it's been a major topic in sports, which is great. The conversation that it's driven is fantastic. We've talked about right. it on here. We've talked, I mean, we're nobody, but people talk about it on everywhere, but right. no one viral, which was so cool. And, and, you know, how did that come about? And is that something you guys talk about as a staff or that's just something you guys are just used to now? Well, I think it was, you know, I think the inequities have been there for really since I've been in, in coaching and we've seen some progress. I mean, we've definitely seen some progress. But I think the thing, the worst thing that could have happened to the NCAA as far as ex exposing them was the fact that we were all in one place, you know, with the bubble uh, environment in San Antonio and the men's, you know, 
bubble environment in Indianapolis. And now with social media, you know, the men were posting things and, 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 and let me, let me make sure the, the weight room is just kind of what started the conversation. There were so many other, and I, and I, ha- I don't ever want people to just think it was just a weight room because that was just, that just opened the door. Yeah. That's just so, the tip of, that's the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. That, that's, that, that was just a minor, really one of the minor details, but the fact of social media, we've got like a lot of our players, like we have a player that's best friends with a North Carolina men's player and, you know, just there's, they're friends, you know, and, and the guys are shared. Yeah. We had a sushi, you know, we had a, a big, uh, a, a sushi uh, dinner tonight. We had sushi delivered and, and we're eating these club sandwiches, these boxed club sandwiches that are cold and the meat is raw. And I mean, it's just, it's just like that. It was just, it just kept going on and on and on, you know, it was like, is this ever going to end? Well, we were all in one place so we could compare and the men were all in one place. And so usually, you know, we're scattered, we're at regions, we're at different sites and nobody's really paying attention to what's going on at this site or what's going on at that site. But here we paid attention. And, um, and that, I think that's how it really got exposed. And then Sedona Prince, who's a player at Oregon, she was the number one high school player to come out in her class. She's a senior now, but she plays at Oregon. She's put it on social media first. She's the one that exposed it. And I think she ended up with over a million hits on her uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter and and then and that that it got got it going. Now you had players, you had athletes speaking out, and it wasn't just coaches or it wasn't just women coaches. It yeah. was athletes speaking out, both men and women. And um, I think now with more men that that have daughters that aspire to play in college or they aspire to play on the professional level, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, whatever it is. They want their daughters to have the same opportunities as their sons. And so now we're seeing more, like a lot of professional football players, like Russell Wilson's sister played mm-hmm. for Stanford. Yep. He, he didn't miss a game, you know, and you've got people with big voices that are speaking out now that says, I want my daughter to have the same opportunities as my son. And it's not any special favors. It's not anything we want special. It's just fairly, just treat us fairly. And I think now it's being exposed. Sally Jenkins, who wrote all three of Pat's books, she's a writes for the Washington Post. Her dad was Dan Jenkins. He was a big, mm-hmm. big time writer, wrote for Golf Digest. And anyway, she... Um, really wrote some articles where she brought numbers out, you know, what the women's, what what we actually make, but what we've been told our budgets were and what we were told that we were always a deficit, that we were always operating in the red. And she brought these numbers to light. And I, I think when you have facts behind it, it's not just emotion. It's not just an opinion. Now I've got facts. I've got numbers to substantiate some, some of the things that we, we were told, which contradicts some things we were told. So I think those types of conversations now 
are going to be going to be had, and hopefully we'll see some changes, Colin. Uh, and, and change does not happen overnight, but we need to speed the process up just a little bit, and and hopefully yeah. that will happen. The ball's definitely moving a lot faster than it used to, which is awesome, and it's yep. it is it is brought. To the table, Sweet 16, I noticed, up 67% in viewership, 4.1 million watching the championship game. We were dialed in, and we weren't the only people. Obviously, we know you guys and we were dialed in, but we weren't just watching Georgia Tech. It was fun to watch, along with the men's tournament. Why not? They coexist together. It's fantastic. But before we let you go, the last little quick question, what's that crazy man Jeff Collins up to down there now? We talked about (laughs) culture and branding. Is he running around? What's he doing? Look, he's he he's full of energy. I can tell you that. He was so great during our run in the tournament. He sent us a video before every before every game, and we would play it. You know, he sent us a video. Josh Pashner, our men's coach, sent us a video. The strength coach that works for football. I mean, yeah, there were all the yeah. football teams sent us videos. I mean, the thing about Georgia Tech, it's not a it's not a huge athletic department. It's not a mega school as far as its students, as far as student population, but it's a tight knit athletic department. And so I know that we've got, we've really enjoyed getting to know Jeff and the, what he's doing with this football program. Uh, Nell, I mean, we, our staff supports them and vice versa. And it's just been fun to watch. And we, we have a lot of optimism about what he's going to do with this Georgia Tech uh, football program. He works at it, boy. He he's a he's a diehard worker, um, and yeah, we're, we're excited that that he's part of part of our Georgia Tech family. Yeah, he's he he's done wonders for me, and he he doesn't even know it. When I was uh, out of football and got cut from the Giants, and I was trying to get back into the league, and I needed a place to train, I he opened the doors up. My coach Matt Rule left. My strength coach left. I had oh. nothing. And he's like, hey, listen, there's 10 lockers for all the alumni that want to come back and train. So I was able to leave clothes there, get my clothes washed by the equipment staff and take the train in and out of Philly every day and train five days a week. It kept me sane for about a two to three year period. Right. And it gave me a shot. If not, I would have whittled right out. I would have been at my local YMCA. I wouldn't be getting pushed. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome that coaches will take that because he didn't have to do that. And No, not at all. You know, and that that their generosity, the fact that they care. Um, and you know, it, it means a lot. And like you said, he may not even know what a difference that, it, that he made uh, in your life and, and, and what you're doing right now, in fact, yep. being in the, in the league, but yep. yeah, it, it does. Coaches can, can have a huge impact on, on people's lives. And I did radio at Temple. And I would, I was interviewing Jeff after games. Hey, coach, how about the win? Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I'm like, man, how th- things have changed a little bit. So, well, you'll have to well, come see us at Georgia Tech. You I can't to wait to come trip. down. You need to make a trip down. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll play Atlanta this year. I'll be able to definitely come out and get a bite oh, okay. to eat with you guys the night before the yeah. game. But yeah, please. Yeah. yeah hopefully COVID we're in town. All. We, we yeah. can come to the game. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. You guys up with some tickets. But Mickey DeMoss. If a friend and uh, uh, so successful. I mean, we could have talked for three hours, but we, we got a, a, a great a great 40 or so minutes in, and, and I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me on, and 
it's been a pleasure getting to know you and Sid and I followed the Panthers this year. I saw your <laughs> touchdown. I was yeah. so excited. Uh, we actually got the Panthers on uh, regionally that, that game. And uh, I was so excited, you know, always pulling for you and um, looking forward to following you again this year. It's going to be a great year. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Just to be a distraction. And even though time goes on and you found someone new, I never thought you were acting. But on the come around, there'll be another one on your own. And no one will be laughing. And I don't care.